0: The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org.
1: Good morning. We are talking about transformation, and all morning we have been celebrating the way God transforms our lives. We see how He's doing it in the lives of our children. We're going to be talking a little later about the way He's doing it in the lives of our students, but we are so thankful that God gives us life transformation. And we want to be a church full of people who are bringing healing and wholeness to our world, even as Jesus is transforming us. And that's that transformation that we've been talking about. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a particular thing that happens in most transformation. That is the pain that is involved with certain uh, transformations. That when God comes and begins to transform Your life, there are certain pain points within that transforming power. And to do that, we're going to go to one of our well Bible reading journey readings from this week, Genesis chapter four. And if you don't have the well, if you've not been in the well with us, we encourage you to join us in our Bible reading journey through the well. We're going to be going through the entire Bible over the next four years together as a church reading the same chapters every day so that God begins to speak to us in a unified way. And this week we were in Genesis chapter four. And so let's look there. Familiar story. Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, this is what the word of God says. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth." Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So we're talking about God taking something hard and twisted and broken and fractured and transforming it somehow. And then, in that transformation process, uh, there is pain. But God is doing something important. Uh, I, I met a young artist named Stephanie. I heard her story. Stephanie, and I, w- I want you to hear her story. She's a young artist who has discovered um, a very unique kind of canvas to paint on. Listen to her story.
0: I don't consider myself an artist or an inspiration. I just consider myself maybe like a dreamer. Painting up on the roof kind of allows me to escape from the busyness of the city and focus. I get to see all of the chaos and all of the movement around me, but I get to go at my own pace. I started painting on x-rays because I needed a canvas that people would pay attention to rather than focusing on my artwork. That gives me time to prepare myself for when they say, so what does this mean? It's almost like a personal thing to me, what it means or, or why you put it together. It's almost like you don't want to share it, it's your own little secret. Somebody probably looked at this x-ray with, with so much anxiety that they have this deformity or this disfigurement for the rest of their life, and I take it and make it something that people will enjoy. You don't go in and show somebody an x-ray and say, look at how healthy I am. You wanna see the tragedy in it. You, it the x-rays are the only things that, you, uh, that I can really think about that you wanna see. What's wrong with it? The perfect ones are the ones that get thrown away. The more broken an x-ray is, the more excited I get to paint on it. You can actually see there's a picture of that pain. I don't think that that should be hidden. It's beautiful in itself. I lost my father when I was 15 and I think a lot of times people will use that as an excuse to kind of just completely go off the path that they're on. But to me, I had an incredible, amazing, encouraging father for 15 years of my life, which is more than most people can say for their living fathers. So I think there's always something broken and you can always take it and put it into a positive. And that's the way that you you rise up. You really can't experience happiness until you've experienced pain because then you're able to compare the difference.
1: There's something beautiful about taking something that is broken and fractured and twisted, malformed, and, and turning it into something beautiful. I love what she said, that you cannot really know happiness until you've known pain. And that in, with x-rays, the perfect ones are the ones that are thrown out, and the broken ones are the ones that are examined. I want you to keep that, that image in your mind as we talk about Cain um, and Abel and what God is doing in this first, what I would call a transformative moment in human history. So Cain and Abel are the children of Adam and Eve. We met them last week. And, um, and Cain is a, an agriculturalist. He's a farmer and Abel is more into animal husbandry he's a, he's a cattleman and both Cain and Abel these brothers they bring their offering to God they they worship God by giving to him out of their first fruits they bring their offering to to God and for some reason that we just are not really clear about and even even how they understand or know this but for some reason we know that God favors Abel's uh offering but he does not favor a, a Cain's offering. And we're not even sure why. I mean, the scripture just says there in verse 4, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Well, what's that supposed to mean? I mean, what, what do you mean? What does it mean by God's favor? And how did they, how did they know? And, and why? why? Why does God favor Cain's offering and does not, I mean, Abel's offering and does not favor Cain's offering? It, it, it really doesn't tell us uh, specifically. We get some hint When God begins to warn Cain, God sees Cain and it says that Cain's face was downcast. He was depressed. He was angry. He was struggling. And God saw what was simmering inside of Cain. God saw what was happening with Cain and he warned him. He said, listen, Cain, if you do what is right, then things will go well for you. But if you do what, not do what is right, he tells him, sin is crouching at your door and it will tried to destroy you, but you must rule over it. This is, this is a warning. God sees something happening in Cain, and he tries to warn him. It's not until the New Testament, actually, we get a little bit of more cl- of a clue into Cain. Uh, and the writer of Hebrews mentions him in Hebrews chapter 11, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about faith. And he begins to use these Old Testament characters as examples of faith. Some scholars call Hebrews chapter 11 the Hall of Faith. And he names them one by one, all these Old Testament characters. But the very first one he names is Abel, and in referencing Cain as well. He he mentions Abel as an example of faith. Hebrews chapter eleven. Let me read the first four verses. Hebrews chapter eleven, begins with verse one. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancestors were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Scholars call that creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. And then he says in verse 4, the critical verse, he says in verse 4, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. His story is still being told. You see, it wasn't apparently what they brought, it wasn't how much they brought in their offering. It was how they brought it. It was the manner in which they brought it, the way they brought it. There is something going on with Cain. There's something wrong with his heart. It's as if God takes an x-ray of his heart bear with me i know x-rays don't do that I know it's cardiograms and all that you know what i'm saying it's if god took a cardiogram of his heart and said there's something there's something wrong there's something not right with with cain there's something broken or fractured there's some pain unresolved pain that is that is plaguing him we don't we don't know what it is we, we know that there's something wrong and it's going to come out you're going to see it in the story you, Cain's character is going to become very obviously clear when, when, when God approaches Cain and, and confronts him uh, with this problem, sin problem that he's having. And when, when Cain realizes somehow that Abel is being favored and he is not, he gets very angry. I mean, he, he gets, it's, his, his reaction is psychopathic. It's, it's narcissistic. You can see it in the text. In fact, the other time that he is mentioned in the New Testament is in the first letter of John to the church, chapter 3. And this is, what he says of, <clears throat> this is what he says about Cain. John, writing, says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So what is it that Cain is doing then? Maybe he's just, I don't know, maybe he's just checking off the boxes, you know? He's going to church just checking off the box. He's giving his offering. He's checking off a box. Did that, did that, did that. Maybe he's coming with the wrong kind of motives to his worship experience, to his giving to God. He has his own agenda. He's pretending to worship God and to give to God, but he has his own agenda. Maybe he has his own kind of selfish motives for giving. Perhaps he's giving to God expecting something back, expecting God to give him something back. And when, he, when God does not reciprocate, when God does not give him what he thinks he deserves, he gets angry. He gets murderous. He flips out. He's so angry that he makes a plan. He calls his brother out into the field alone. And out there he kills him. He murders him. It's premeditated. It's narcissistic. You see, you see the narcissism when God confronts him, and it becomes very clear. When God first confronts uh, Cain, He asks him, "Where is your brother Abel?" Now, let's just stop right there and just just can we just all agree? We we've watched this God working for four chapters now in Genesis. We understand that He's got the God who created the universe and everything that is out of nothing. He created everything. So you understand, God knows where Abel is, okay? He's, when he comes to, to Cain and says, where is your brother? He's not, he's, God is not confused. He knows where the brother is. Just like when God came to Adam in the cool of the morning and said, Adam, where are you? You don't think God knew where Adam was? You don't think he already knew what Adam had done? Of course he did. He's giving him a chance, right? He's giving him a chance to take responsibility, He's giving him a chance to to repent. He does it with Adam. And now with Cain, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's trying to do the same thing. Where is your brother? Here is your chance to to tell me, to confess, to take responsibility. And Cain, just like Adam, um, refuses to take responsibility. Watch watch Cain's response. When God says to him, where is your your brother Abel? He says, why are you asking me? What what do I look like? Abel's babysitter? Right? Why are you asking me? And then and then when God confronts him directly and says, "I know what has happened. Your brother's blood is screaming to me from the ground. You have killed your brother." He's he's busted. He's been caught. The truth the truth is out. There's no escaping for him. And what is his reaction? His reaction is, "But what's going to happen to me?" God says, you're going to be a wanderer over the earth and, and the ground is no longer going to produce fruit for you. And, and you're, 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 you're going to move in from this agricultural lifestyle to this nomadic lifestyle of hunting and gathering, which is a much more difficult lifestyle than the agricultural lifestyle. You're, you're going backwards. You're going to become a nomad, a wanderer all over the earth. And what is Cain's reaction to that? It's like, you can't do this to me. Do you hear what he's saying? You can't do this to me. Never once has he even mentioned his brother's name. God comes and says, You just killed your brother. And he's like, I know, but what's going to happen to me? Right? Do you see the sickness that's inside of him? The narcissistic, self consumed perspective he has on life. He says, But this is more than I can bear. I I want to take him by the throat and say, This isn't about you. You just killed your brother. And he wants to know, but what's going to happen to me? Everywhere I go, people are going to know what I did. And they're going to try to kill me. And he says to God, it's more than I can bear. The punishment is too hard. And then this is when God does something that only God would do. I'm telling you, I wouldn't do it. But God, would, God does it. And that is he gives Cain a second chance. He brings grace and mercy to Cain's life. When Cain says, "You can't do this to me. I, I'm going to go all over the earth, and 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 people are going to want to kill me everywhere I go," and God says, "No." And see, and see, Cain's pain point was, "You're you're." Ex- expelling me from my community, which for him meant my God, too. The God was wrapped up in the community and the tribe. I'm no longer going to be part of the tribe, and so that means I'm going to be separated from God, too. And God says, no, 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 no. You you still belong to me. I'm going to put this mark on you. And everywhere you go with that mark, people will know that you belong to me, and they will not harm you, right? Right? I'm putting my mark on you. The mark of Cain. It's controversial, but different people try to use this mark and they try to identify certain people groups who, who, who are the mark of Cain, which is absolutely ridiculous. But they try to do that, and, and they, usually it's with a negative that this is a negative thing, the mark of Cain. But actually, the mark of Cain was a positive, it was, it was an act of God's grace. Him saying, I'm putting my mark on you so that everywhere you go, people will know that they cannot touch you, they cannot harm you because you belong to me. There's something seriously wrong with Cain, but God says, I don't care, I don't throw people away. He gives him a second chance. So um, there's this transformation that happens. Here, here's my thesis. That there is a painful transformation that takes place for humanity in this scene. A painful transformation. Death comes into the picture for the first time in Genesis chapter four. Death comes into the picture. And think about what happens with death. What happens with death is that now suddenly time has meaning. Because it's short. It expires. Before, when... People live forever. There was no time loses meaning when you live forever. But when there's death, now suddenly there's time and it's short. And I have to use it in the most, most effective and efficient way. There, there is this painful transformation that is happening in their lives. And, and also the idea that with this painful transformation, with this thing of time that now suddenly has all this meaning, what happens, again, what happens also then is that we understand that with time we grow. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, we grow. So I want to just offer you a couple of things about this transformation and the pain involved with it. And I want you to try to think about your own life. And the first is that that transformation involves a a painful realization. And it is that painful realization that always is the catalyst for any change or any transformation that is going to come into your life. The point of painful realization for it Cain, even in his narcissism, was that what he had done, that he actually was his brother's keeper, in in a a real and physical and literal way, he was his brother's keeper, and that because of what he had done now, there was going to be this long-term personal consequence for his life, that he was moving backwards, actually, because when anthropologists, sorry, When anthropologists and sociologists study the march of time in human history, they see that communities or tribes went from being Hunters and gatherers and foragers to eventually more agriculturalists, where they were able to to stay somewhere and plant and grow out of the ground, and then eventually moved into animal husbandry. And this was the flow of human history, right? Advanced agricultural societies were not nomadic; they stayed somewhere, and so it was seen as a better life, a more stable life, an easier life. And here is Cain, and he's going backwards; he's going from being an agriculturalist farmer to being now having to be a nomadic hunter and Gatherer a much more difficult life, and there is this pain that is happening in this transformation because of this realization i 've realized now what i 've done and what it means that always that always precedes any transformation about see it's been seven years now ago, eight years ago, I lost forty pounds I know hard to believe, right I did you should have seen me back then, and so uh, and what happened to cause that 40-pound loss, it's more than I've ever lost, ever. And uh, what happened to cause that transformation in the, in the way I approach food the way I eat was that my son got married. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the wedding pictures came back. <laughs> right? And I'm looking at these, I'm going, who's the guy standing beside my son? And Priscilla says, I mean, what I wanted to say, who's the beached whale standing beside my son? And Priscilla said, uh, "That's you, Ellis. I hadn't. I hadn't looked in a mirror. I had. I was. I was in an unhealthy place I, with with respect to food and stress and stress eating, and I hadn't even realized it. I had. I, I looked at myself. I said, that, surely that's not me.' Is that the way you see me? Yeah. It's a painful realization It always precipitates real transformation." For pain, for for Cain, it was the realization. Oh, oh no, I am my brother's keeper. And I want to just as a side note, because what he, Cain says next is, "I, my my, the consequences are more than I can bear." This this sudden realization of what I have done is more than I can bear. And I want you to I want you to take note of that because it almost always feels that way when God when when there's some pain point in your life some difficult thing you're going through and you're beginning to feel like this is more than I can bear, know that in that moment, it must be that God is trying to do something with you. God wants to change you somehow. God wants to transform you somehow. And that pain point is necessary to bring the the painful realization that will eventually be the catalyst for that transformation. God is doing something important in your life. The other thing about the transformation is that transformation also requires a painful goodbye. When God wants to transform you somehow, there is this moment where you have to say goodbye to something that you're leaving that you can go to something that you're going to. And that that can be extremely painful. Those goodbyes, whatever it is, whatever habit you're having to say goodbye to, whatever structure you're having to say goodbye to, perhaps whatever person you're having to say goodbye to, in that transformation, it can be a painful transformation. I've experienced it throughout my life as I've had to leave one set of friends for another set of friends. For whatever reason, God was doing something different in my life. When I was young, you could say I was outgrowing these friends and needing another set of friends. I don't Know how you want to say it, but there is this painful goodbye that takes place. I have pastored three churches in the last—I uh, don't want to say how long—thirty-something years. Um, and every time I left one church to go to another church, I had no doubt in my mind that it was God who was moving me. It was God who was doing it. I know this because I didn't want to leave. I never want to leave. It's a hard thing to leave. I didn't want to leave my first church, but God pushed me. I didn't want to leave my second church, but God made it obvious. I don't want to leave this church. Well, I'm still here, so you're stuck with me. But every single move was hard. The saying goodbye. They say, 12 years later, do you miss the Rio Grande Valley where I pastored for 10 years? Do you miss it? And I say, no. I miss the people, right? Right? I miss the people, but not the place. I miss the people. God brings these painful goodbyes in this transformation. And then finally, the transformation produces something painfully beautiful. That's the end of the story, isn't it? That God's transformation, painful as it is, throughout the process, that there's always something beautiful that comes out um, at the other end. We don't know that much about what happened to Cain. Um, we know that, you know, he became a wanderer and we know that he lived out his life, but we don't know exactly, specifically, what came of him. But we know something about his children because the scripture is very purposeful and specific about his children and his grandchildren. And so we learn here are some of his children. It reports Jabal. One of his sons was the father of those who practice animal husbandry. He was a cattleman. Huh. Just like his uncle Abel. Cain's oldest son takes up the legacy and the torch of his uncle Abel. Becomes a cattleman and is considered the father of animal husbandry in the Bible. Jubal was the father of music. Can you imagine the world without music? I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to imagine a world without my music. The music I love. A world without the Eagles or the Beatles or... Well, some of you may disagree about that, but... That was Jubal, the father of music. And Tubal Cain, named after his dad, was the father of metallurgy. I majored in metallurgy, in the field of mechanical engineering. It's important. He worked with bronze and iron. Can you see this movement of the coming of the Bronze Age and the Iron Age? And it is attributed to Cain's children. Brought us through these technological advances. Metallurgy. Those are, those are pretty good things, aren't they? Those are some of the best things that came out of the line of Cain, of all people, Cain. It's as if God took this x-ray of Cain's heart fractured twisted hard cracked diseased heart and god took the x-ray from cain's heart and he painted something beautiful out of it and that's what god does amen amen father we thank you for loving us the way you do for giving us so much more than we could ever, ever, ever repay. And Father, we thank you for this moment where we realize from the power of your word and the stories that you give us of your children, you remind us that you don't ever throw anyone away, that no matter how grievous, no matter how awful, no matter how sick, no matter how narcissistic (laughs) our choices are, um, you never stop giving, you never give up on us, you never stop working with us, you never stop loving us. Father, we pray that you would take you would take our lives cracked and fractured and diseased as they are and that you would that you would make something beautiful out of them we are a church praying for your transformation recognizing that pain will come with it father we just we seek your transformation anyway bless us today father i pray in jesus name amen amen